0: Amen. You may be seated. We come now to the reading of uh, God's Word. And uh, before uh, we uh, turn to the sermon this morning, I just want to take a, a moment to send a word of, of love and blessing to all of you who are uh, worshiping with us at home through the, the live stream. And I've uh, prayed for each of you this morning that the Holy Spirit would be present in uh, your homes and uh, we are sad to be all spread out and in, in distant during this hard time and may God minister to you may he show you his a steadfast and unfailing love, and, and know that we uh, long to all be worshiping uh, together, and may you have uh, strength and endurance, and, and may the Spirit tie us together, uh, both across four services and people worshiping at home. May, may the love of Christ, uh, in a supernatural way, uh, unite us as, as the body of Christ, so the Lord's uh, blessing be with you as you worship with us this morning. And um, also, before we turn to God's Word, I just want to make one announcement that uh, we're going to be having a Christmas Eve service uh, on Christmas Eve, and uh, you can register online the same page that you go to to register for these services. We're going to have a service at uh, 2, 3.30, and 5 o'clock, so you probably want to get on there and register uh, soon if you can, so we uh, hope to uh, see you all on Christmas Eve. Uh, We're going to continue this morning our study through uh, the Gospel of John. And we're in John 13, the the famous passage of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And uh, so we're looking at the first 17 verses of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing uh, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed the, their feet and put on his feet, outer garments and resumed his place he said to them do you understand what I've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you are right for so I am but if I then your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, not not only in the Bible, in the words of the scriptures, but in the person of Christ. And it is our great joy to come here and worship, to fix our eyes on Him and especially His great love. That you have this is how you have loved the world is by sending Him to us. And uh, so we pray that you would give us um, the, the eyes of faith to, to see Him and to receive. The grace and love that is communicated to us in these words. And so send your Holy Spirit to to be our teacher. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I'd say we're looking at the the famous passage of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, which is really a, a, a passage about the love of Jesus. And you'll notice how this passage begins. The second part of verse 1 there, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And it's a great statement about the persistence of Jesus' love. You know, Jesus' uh, uh, disciples had been bumbling around with him throughout his earthly ministry and often tells us about their failings and how they had little faith. And then even in this, this, uh, this passage that we're looking at this morning is uh, is the night before Jesus would be crucified, and, and all of his disciples will abandon him when he at his most moment of greatest need, and then even Peter will, will deny that he even knew Jesus. And yet it says that Jesus, through all that, he loved them to the end. You know, all of us as Jesus' disciples, we bumble along and what an encouraging word that Jesus' persistent love through all of our little faith and struggles, his love is persistent. And what Jesus says in this passage is that the way that he loves us as his disciples is a model for how then we're supposed to love each other. And you see that there in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now that last little phrase, blessed are you if you do them, that word blessed is is the Bible's way of describing a happy life. Jesus is saying, I am telling you in this passage, I'm showing you in this passage what the happy life is. And each one of us, you know, has a picture in our mind of what the happy life is. You know, if everything went right in your life, if God's hand just blessed every episode, every year, every month of your life, what would your life look like? You know, we all have pictures of, you know, I'd fall in love or I would have a house or I'd have a career that was really successful or whatever it is that would be the picture of your happy life. Well, I think that this passage says that for a Christian, if everything went right in your life, it would look like you being able to be loved by God and other people and you being able to love God and other people. If everything went right in your life, this is what it would look like is that you would be able to be loved by God and be loved by other people and you would be able to love God and love other people. And wisdom from pretty much every culture throughout history has always said that the truly happy life is not dependent on your circumstances. It's about becoming a certain kind of person. And, you know, by the way, most people become loving people by going through hardship. And so if God's hand of blessing was on your life, it's going to look like having some amount of suffering that you're going to have to walk through because that's how you become a compassionate and loving person. And so our topic today is learning uh, from Jesus how to love, and really learning from Jesus what the blessed and happy life is. And so from this passage, I'd like to just make two simple points about that, and this is what they are. That first, to love, you must first learn to be loved. To love, you must first learn to be loved. And second, to love, you must learn to be a servant. To love, you must first learn to be loved, and to love, you must learn to be a servant. And these are just two of the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. And so, important insights from this passage in John 13 this morning. So, two points, and the first is this To love, you must first learn to be loved. And being loved is not necessarily as easy as it sounds. You might say, well, doesn't everyone just want to be loved? And doesn't everyone receive love? But you see that in yourself, that we don't receive love very easily. You know, maybe when someone says an encouraging word to you or tries to compliment you and you say, oh, no, I'm not like that. Or, no, it was nothing. And you see that there's a resistance to say, well, someone's trying to encourage you. Why don't you receive it? And say, wow, thanks. That's a blessing. We don't do that. And some of you might say, you know, you see that in yourself when someone gets too close to you or maybe you kind of open up to someone about something and then you regret it and you say, why did I tell them? Why did I share that with them? Or when someone gets too close, you feel some door inside of you kind of shutting and wanting to keep people at a distance. Well, this is one of the reasons that the Bible says that the most important spiritual act is believing and not doing The most important spiritual act is not being a good person or being a loving person or being an obedient person. In order to have eternal life, in order to be saved, you must believe because believing is receiving the love of Jesus. The most fundamental spiritual act is not loving others, but being loved. That's why uh, 1 John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. And it's one of the profound truths of Christianity that Christianity says that the main problem with humanity actually isn't so much that we don't know how to love others, but that we don't know how to be loved by God. We don't trust in God's love. And uh, this passage answers two really important questions about being loved. How is it that we resist being loved? And then how is Jesus a model for us about being loved? And so I want to answer both of those questions. So first, how do we resist being loved? What are some of the ways that we resist being loved? And, you know, Jesus gets ready to wash his disciples' feet. And uh, twice, Peter corrects Jesus and says what Jesus is doing isn't right. There's something wrong with what he's doing. And I think both of the times that Peter corrects Jesus illustrate uh, some of the ways that we resist being loved. And so how do we resist being loved? Well, first... By saying, I don't need your love. We resist being loved by saying, I don't need your love. And you see in verse 5, it says, then, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And, you know, by the way, a lot of the um, commentators say that there's a sacramental element to the, uh, this passage. The sacraments are The two sacraments are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And uh, Jesus' washing of his disciples uh, seems to be symbolic of washing away their sins. And so it's it's related to baptism. And so when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, this is a symbolic act of you are washed, you are embraced, you are welcomed into God's presence, you are welcomed into his kingdom, you are clean in his sight. And yet, this is how Peter responds in verse 6. It says he came to Simon Peter and said, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered him, "What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand." And Peter said to him, "You shall never wash my feet." Now that sounds humble to say, "Oh, you're my master, I'm not going to let you wash my feet." But really what Peter is saying is, "I don't need you to wash me. I don't need your love, I don't need your pity, I don't need your forgiveness." Peter is like, I'll be the one doing the loving. I'm happy to, for people to need me. I don't want to be the one to need, to need you. And in fact, later in this chapter, he's going to say to Jesus that I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you, which of course he fails to do. He ends up denying Jesus. But he's resisting the vulnerable reality that he needs love. And uh, Jesus immediately challenges Peter. and says in the second half of verse 8, Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus says, You have no share in my kingdom unless you are humble enough to be loved. It takes humility to be loved. And it's one of the most astounding things I think in the world that, that God himself would come down to humanity and you say, I'm gonna come down, I'm gonna enter into all the misery and hardship of human life. I'm gonna come down as a baby, you know, the Christmas story. He's gonna bear all of our sins, he's gonna give an open offer. To all people everywhere, you can have all of your sins forgiven. You can be reconciled to me. You can spend eternity with me in a renewed creation. You can have death reversed in you. And the pride of humanity says to God, no thanks. We don't need your love. We don't need your forgiveness. We don't need your pity. We don't need it. And so first, the first way that we resist being loved is by saying, I don't need your love. There's a second way that we see also with Peter is that we also resist love by saying, you must love me on my terms. I'm going to set the term. I'm going to tell you how you're going to love me. And and so after Jesus rebukes Peter, it says in verse 9, So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And so Peter goes from being super humble, you know, my master is not going to wash my feet, to being super bossy and saying, uh, he's telling Jesus, this is how I want to be washed. I will be loved the way I say I need to be loved on my terms. And, uh, you know, Jesus doesn't go for that either. And again, you know, Jesus says something I think interesting about baptism in in his response in verse 10. It says, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And what Jesus is saying here is the amount of water that's used on the body isn't what makes someone clean. It's when Jesus says that someone's clean. You know, it's his work on the cross that makes someone clean. And so, you know, here at Christchurch, when someone's baptized, we just sprinkle a little bit of water on them. And yet they are totally clean. And not just in that moment, in that day, uh, but throughout their life, all the sins of their whole life, God has declared them clean. And whenever we see someone baptized, we should say, wow, when I was baptized, God has declared me clean. And every time you come to this table, you should hear, you are clean once for all because Jesus has died for all of your sins. And um, that we are clean. And I think it also tells us that we don't need to be baptized over and over again. We're washed once for all. That's the sufficiency of the grace of Christ. But Peter can't rest in the love of Jesus. So his bossiness is getting in the way. And often the people who love you best aren't going to go along with your bossiness. What both of these terms are, either saying I don't need your love, or you must love me on my terms, are both ways of us trying to stay in control and stay independent. And love refuses both of those things. Now, some of you will hear that and you say, you know, I see that in me. I see there's something in me that says I don't need, I don't need love. I don't, I, I'm going to make sure people love me on my own terms. I can feel some of that bossiness in me. But, you know, I've learned that I need to protect myself because there have been people in my life that should have loved me that didn't love me or fail to love me. You know, maybe you grew up in a, an abusive home and parents who were supposed to be trusted and caring and loving and weren't that way towards you. And so at some time in your past, you said, you know what? I've, I've de- promised myself. I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. I'm not going to be in a needy, dependent situation again. I'm not going to need anyone and let them be able to hurt me like that. And so that leaves you with a dilemma. Because if you will not be loved... The Bible says you will be eternally lost, but it's true that you can't depend on imperfect people to give you the love that you need. And that's why being a Christian is about coming to know the love of God as a perfect father and knowing the grace of Jesus Christ as a savior. He is the one who can love us. He's even the one who enables us to love, receive love from other people. So, in saying, you know, to love, we must, we must first need to be loved, we got to first say, well, how do I resist that? But then the second question is, how does Jesus model being loved by the Father? How does Jesus model being loved by the Father? And this is a, you know, this passage is really interesting because it's, of course, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And it's a frightening night that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed. And the, the, uh, the John, who wrote this gospel, gives us a glimpse into Jesus' inner life. What is Jesus thinking about the night before he's going to be crucified? And in verse 3, it tells us, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand. And it's a, it's an amazing statement. Jesus is thinking about the father has given all things into his hands. And what are all things? I mean, all things is is all of human history. You think of every human civilization, every culture with all of their customs and all of their, their clothes and their languages and, and their traditions, every family that's formed, every person that's fallen in love, every friendship that's been formed, every business that's been started, every human invention, every technology, all the learning of human life, and, so, and then all the rising and falling of every kingdom, all things in history. And then it's not just the things in human life, but even the things in the natural world, every remote mountain and, and you know, river and valley and desert and jungle and every fish in the deepest depths of the ocean. Or you think of all those star- stars that are on you know, the other side of the universe that are so many thousands of light years away that a human will never even see and the black holes that we don't even know about, that only God knows about. And we think, why did he make all this stuff? You know, the earth is so small. And we can't even see all that. Why did God create all these things? And this passage tells us it was all made as a gift of love from the Father to the Son. It was a gift of love. Being loved means seeing all of existence itself as the loving act of God and receiving it with thanksgiving. If you want to know that you are loved by God, you have to realize first you exist. You're a person. Like you exist. That means that God loves you. And also, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you are a joint heir with Jesus of all things. Of all things, You will inherit. God made the creation as a gift to you as well in Christ. This is what Jesus was thinking about then on the night that he was betrayed. But there's more. Then he goes on, the second half of verse 3. It says, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus on this night, to remember the love of God, he looks into the past and he looks into the future. And how far into the past does he look? He says, well, well, I came from God. You know, Jesus, before he became a baby, he was with the Father from all eternity, before the creation was made. He's thinking before the universe existed, he said, I was with the Father and he loved me. And the Bible also says that if you are a Christian, that's true of you as well, that God set his love on you before the foundations of the earth. That means his love has been upon you for millennia, for thousands, thousands of years, and it's gone on and on. And if he has loved you for that long, whatever you are facing right now, why would it stop now? Why would he give up on that love after all those ancient ages of loving you? And then Jesus looks into the future as well, and he knows where he's going. He says, I'm going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be reunited with his father. He's going to come, and God's going to renew all things. All of those things that are in Jesus' future If you are in him, they are yours as well. And he's thinking about these things. That means we too have to preach the good news of God's love, the love of the Father to ourselves. We need to hear it in order to know that we're loved. And in order to love others, you must first be loved. Jesus did not love others without first being loved. The thing that enabled him to wash his disciples' feet and to go to the cross was he knew the love of his Father. You can't love unless you've been loved. Jesus didn't love without being loved. So first, to love, you must first learn to be loved. And we all in different ways resist that. We say things like, I don't need love. Or people are going to love me the way I want them to. Or God's going to love me the way I want him to. Both of these Jesus rejects. But he shows us how to be loved by knowing that we have been loved throughout the ages of the past and we will be loved into eternity in the future. That gives us security now. But when you know a person has been loved by God, what does their life then begin to look like? When your life is transformed by being loved by God, what does it begin to look like? And that's our second point, is that to love, you must learn to be a servant. To love, you must learn to be a servant. And the, the word servant is kind of a jargon word in the Christian world. We often use that word, but the world doesn't often use that. I know when my wife Shannon and I were getting married, we had a rehearsal dinner the, the night before our wedding. And uh, at the rehearsal, people from the wedding party were saying, all the, giving these speeches, talking about us. And uh, one of my groomsmen was telling a story about how he broke his leg snowboarding. And after he broke his leg, my wife Shannon had bought him food and some special drinks because he had to keep his foot up and, and she was taking care of him. And at the end of this, he said, you know, and Shannon, you're just such a servant. And of course, we hear that as, wow, that's a statement of honor to say that she's such a servant. But some of Shannon's friends who were not Christians were like, did he just call her a servant? You know, you're calling this woman a servant like at the rehearsal dinner? Like, what are you talking about? And yet in the Bible... Being a servant is is this honored title. And, And even our Lord, of course, in Mark 10, he says about himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in this passage, he says in verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus, Our Lord was a servant and he's our master. We're below him. So we're servants too. And so what does being a servant have to do with love? Well, let me point out a few things from this passage. First, servants love with actions and not just with feelings. Servants love with actions and not just with feelings. And this the passage is very uh, detailed about the physical act of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And, and all of the, uh, the disciples would have been at a table where, you know, in the ancient world, they'd be reclined on the floor, you know, lying down next to the table. And all their feet would be kind of radiating out away from the table. And so then it says in verse 4 that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And, uh, you know, John's really emphasizing the physicality of of Jesus' service. Actually, uh, Lauren Clark, who was in the first service, made the comment about this, thinking about Jesus going to each disciple. And each disciple, the towel would have been getting dirtier and dirtier. And this image of Jesus taking all the filth on their bodies, onto himself and it's this image of the cross that Jesus takes our sins upon himself and in fact I think that this image is this is one of the great truths uh, about Christmas is that when God loves us it's not a love that's just a feeling where you know God has this is this energy in the universe that he has warm fuzzies towards us when God loves humanity he came in the flesh he came as a body he came as a child. He came into a poor family. He ate with people. He touched people. He talked with people. He, he um, fed people and healed people. There was a physicality to the love of Jesus. And so first, servants love with actions and not just with feelings. Second, servants are not above even the most menial tasks. And washing feet was reserved for the, the lowliest servants. And, uh, and yet Jesus says in verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And D.A. A. Carson, who's a commentator, said that there's no instance in either Jewish or Greco-Roman sources of a superior washing the feet of an inferior. In the whole ancient world, this was never done. This is totally unique. This is, in, the, in this act, Jesus is shattering social norms. And love always kind of disrupts some of the hierarchy of authority structures by finding ways to do acts. You know, Jesus this was a very deliberate act, right? He said, I want all of you to watch what I'm doing. I'm going to change my dress. I'm going to take out my garments. I'm going to take this towel. I'm going to get down into the low place. I'm going to physically get down into the low place. And that's what the love does. Is it finds ways to, sh- to show through menial tasks that I put myself below you and I serve you. And if you're a person who's in any kind of authority or, or has any kind of a status, a life sh- sh- shaped by love will always find ways to do this service. You know, you think of the relationship between uh, parents and children. Parents have authority over children. Children are supposed to obey their parents. But if you're a parent, your life is filled with menial tasks. You know, feeding children, changing diapers, you know, talking to them, getting them ready, teaching them, instructing them. It's totally an act of service. The authority is making themselves low and serving and caring for the the weak one. Or, you know, you think if you're a teacher, you know, a teacher is the authority in the classroom, but they're always finding ways to to understand each student and understand their particular weaknesses and difficulties so that they can understand the lesson and, you know, learning techniques so that they can learn. Or, you know, pastors and elders in the church, the pastors and elders are the servants in the church. They're not above the congregation. They're below the congregation. They're just servants. This is true of bosses in workplaces. This is true of older children and younger children. These superiors show uh, love by their willingness to do even menial tasks. Menial tasks should mark our lives. So servants love in action, not just feelings. Servants are not above even the most menial tasks. But lastly, servants bestow honor on people who often don't deserve it that's been true throughout history is that people who were servants often had to serve people who didn't deserve their service and I think one of the most remarkable things about this passage is that Judas was here the betrayer of Jesus it says in verse 2 during the supper when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him This is the very night that Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, and Jesus knew it. Verse, second part of verse 10. He says, And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And yet Jesus washes all of his disciples' feet, even his betrayer. God may have put some of you in a situation where you were called to give honor to people you don't think you deserve it. And you feel like this is so wrong to give service and love to this person who has done this. And so I put before you the example of our Lord who washed the feet of his betrayer. It's not wrong. Jesus has honored you and you don't deserve it. That's the mark of love. And so how do you learn to love like this It's only if you have been loved first. You have to refuse the thoughts, I don't need love, or I must be loved on my own terms. But you have to believe that I am loved by a perfect Father in heaven. And when that love comes alive in you, it makes you into a servant. A servant who loves with actions, not just feelings. A servant who's not above the most menial task, but is constantly lowering yourself to care for those under you. But ultimately, servants bestow honor on people who don't deserve it because we know that Jesus has bestowed such great honor on us even though we don't deserve it. And so if everything went right in your life, the hand of blessing was upon your life, this is what you would have. The picture that Jesus gives you here, this is the good life, a life defined by love. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for such a a powerful passage of scripture and truths that cut against the whole way of the world, the whole way of our flesh. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would give them hearts to receive your love, to trust in your love. And Lord, as we trust in your love that is more ancient than the creation itself, and that will endure uh, past uh, the final day uh, when Jesus comes again. Help us to know that love as Jesus knew it. And uh, Lord, I pray that we too would become a community of servants, that we would serve one another in actions and, and make ourselves lower than one another, and even to those who don't deserve it in our lives. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.